happy 4th of July. I'm sure that uh, all you second service people are the ones blowing things up till 3, right? First service didn't take the blame. All right. Well, uh, I'm sure uh, for some of you, I'm kidding. Uh, hey, if I have not had the chance to meet you, my name is Craig. I'm one of the pastors here at Shelbyville Community Church. Uh, again, I'm grateful that you would come and spend your morning here, whether you're here in the room or you're joining us online. Uh, I just want to say thank you for coming. Uh, it means a lot to me. Uh, I think it's awesome that um, we get to gather together and uh, sing songs of worship and sit under uh, the scriptures and learn what God has for us week after week. Um, so, uh, for those of you that uh, have uh, maybe recently started coming to SEC, or maybe you're just a guest today, uh, I want to give a little context to this video. Uh, this last October, we launched our all-in discipleship journey. Can you guys believe it's been nine months? Crazy, man. Time is moving. So nine months ago, we started this thing called All In, uh, and it is a discipleship journey where we are asking everyone in our church to go all in in three different areas. The first is that we would be a church filled with people that go all in in their relationship with Jesus. The second is that we would be a church that goes all in on family ministry. And the third is that we would be a church that is all in for our community. All right, and so uh, we made the ask of people then to get involved with this idea of uh, all in, to financially give to it, uh, to just kind of be on the lookout for what is to come uh, through it. And so this summer, we're going to take the opportunity to do kind of an all in check in. All right, it's been nine months. Uh, where are we at? Where are some of these community projects at? What's going on with them? Uh, and the other kind of aspect to this is uh, honestly, if we're going to step out into our community, uh, we all need to do a little bit of heart work. Um, we do. Uh, it's just a part of it. And so uh, this summer, uh, we're actually going to be walking through the book of Jonah because Jonah has a lot to do with the very thing uh, that we're getting ready to do. Right? Jonah was called to go to a people that were um, outside of his norm. They were different from him. Uh, and honestly, the way that he chooses to respond is the way that I hope we do not. Okay, uh, And so we're going to be digging into the book of Jonah this summer. We're going to be looking at that. And the whole goal uh, is that uh, God would soften our heart, that he would do some solid heart work in us. Okay, uh, And so as we jump into that today, I just want to warn you, today's a little heavy. Um, it is, right? Uh, I got done first service and went back in the prayer room and was like, wow, that's uncomfortable. Uh, and so if I'm feeling that way, I'm assuming some of you may feel that way too as we leave. Here's the deal. I love you and I'm grateful that you're here, uh, but I don't want us to stay where we are, right? God has a better future for us. Amen? Okay. Now, uh, this is the first Sunday that Brad, uh, our lead pastor, has actually been out on sabbatical, and uh, I would be a massive jerk face if we didn't pray for him, right? I literally uh, taught out of a scripture last week that said, pray for your pastor, and so uh, as Brad is stepping out for the month of July to reconnect with God, to connect with his family, uh, to just get away, uh, we need to be praying for him. All right? And I'm not going to ask you guys to do something that I myself am not willing to do. So if you would, uh, let's take a, a couple minutes and let's pray for Pastor Brad. Father, thank you so much for Brad. Uh, thank you for who he is. Thank you for calling him here 20 plus years ago. Thank you for his faithfulness to you and to this church and the work that he's done here. Father, thank you for his faithfulness to preach the gospel above all else. Father, thank you for the ways that Pastor Brad has blessed each of us individually, just in our own unique ways. And Father, I ask that 
as Brad steps out for uh, his sabbatical, that he would connect with you, that he would um, hear from you clearly, that you would speak, and that he would respond to what you say to him. I ask that as he steps out that uh, you would bless his time away, that you would provide some rest for him, uh, that you would provide some rejuvenation for him. And uh, I ask that you would just do a good work uh, in his marriage and in his family uh, as they gather together in the coming weeks. Uh, and that when he does step back in in August, that he would have a renewed joy in your grace and his calling to the ministry that you've called him to here in Shelbyville. Amen. And I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, so last week I challenged you to do two things. The first was to bring your Bible. Did anybody do that this week? Cool, 12 of you. And um, I challenge you to read the first chapter of Jonah. Did any of the one last week be sure for this coming Sunday that you read Jonah chapter 1 again? Uh, and bring your Bible with. I just think it's a good practice to uh, bring the book and to dig in and uh, to take a break from screens, right? Now, Jonah. Most of us know Jonah because of a fish. The book of Jonah is about far more than a fish. It really is. Uh, it's about a resentful prophet and a relentless God, and I'm excited to dig into this. I feel like God has a ton for us in this book. Uh, like I said, Pastor Brad stepped out on sabbatical, and usually in the summer, he comes to me and says, hey, I need you to plan out what we're going to go through in the summer, and I felt a very strong conviction that we need to walk through the book of Jonah together, uh, and so I'm excited for what he has for us in this book. Uh, and I pray, um, honestly, that we would just humbly sit underneath it and uh, learn from it and grow from it. All right? You guys ready to jump in? No. Cool. Well, I'm going to do it anyway. All right, here we go. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Okay? Now, the common belief is that Jonah, uh, the character in here, is the one who actually wrote this letter. He's wrote this story. And so, uh, in the very first verse, Jonah introduces us to the two main characters of this story. The first being God, right? The word of the Lord came to Jonah. There's our second character, right? So, God and Jonah, these are the two primary characters in this story. And we're going to see a whole supporting cast come and go throughout the rest of this book. Uh, but these are the two primary folks that we're going to be seeing throughout this uh, story. And in the Old Testament, uh, names, oh, let me back up. Here we go. Uh, in the first, man, I'm all over the place today. I'm sorry. Uh, in the Old Testament, names were a big deal, okay? Uh, we saw God give people names that had significance. Um, we saw Abraham, right? He became the father of many, which that's literally what his name means, father of many. Uh, David, it means beloved. Ezekiel, it means God will strengthen. Uh, Isaiah means Yahweh is salvation. Ruth means friend, and Noah means rest. Throughout the Old Testament, we saw God give people names that had significance, and we also saw parents give their children names that said a lot about their character, or at least their future ambitions for their kids. And so Jonah, the name Jonah in Hebrew actually means dove. Jonah means dove. And in Genesis chapter 8, uh, verses 1 through 11, we see that after this great flood, right, Noah and the ark and the flood, we see that Noah sends a dove out from the ark and that this dove returns from the ark with an olive branch. That this was a symbol of peace, that after everything that had taken place, that the flood was over and that there was peace between God and man again. And so in this story, dove may symbolically imply Yahweh's attempt to rescue 
Nineveh from destruction and judgment through forgiveness and mercy, and that Jonah, being the dove, is the peace agent between God and them. How beautiful, right? God is sending Jonah, he's sending a dove or a peace agent to the people of Nineveh, offering them forgiveness and mercy. It's a cool picture. But Jonah also has another meaning. In the book of Hosea, uh, the name dove, or the word dove, is used as a metaphor for foolishness and folly. Foolish and folly. And Amittai, his father's name, Amittai means my faithfulness. So when we read of who Jonah is, Jonah, the son of Amittai, literally reads, the foolish son of my faithfulness. How true is that when you think of this story? His name makes so much sense when we look at his story. Now, we don't know a ton about Jonah uh, outside of this story. We hear of Jonah three times in Scripture. Uh, Second Kings is the first, the story of Jonah, and then Jesus actually references Jonah's time inside the belly of the fish. But the first time that we hear of Jonah, it's mentioned in Second Kings uh, chapter 14, verse 25. And Jonah was sent to prophesy over uh, a man named Jeroboam II. This is who he's referencing. It says, he was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Labo Hamath to the Dead Sea in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah. As he's to it, Jonah isn't new to the prophet thing, but Jonah is new to who for me. Okay? The first time Jonah was sent out, he was actually sent to the people of Israel. He was staying kind of in his camp. He was with people uh, that believed the way that he did, did life the way that he did. Uh, and so he was called out to them to go and prophesy and say, here is a word from the Lord. This time, God is calling Jonah to go to a people, uh, which God refers to as that great city. Uh, great city is not, man, they're awesome. Great city is in like, this is a big city, right? It's numerous. It is gigantic. It is big. It is great in size. Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian uh, empire, and they were Israel's worst enemy, right? So that kind of changes some things a little bit. Assyria was actually known as the bane of the ancient world. They were powerful, and they were well developed. They had city walls that were a hundred feet tall, and they could fit three chariots side by side on the top of their walls, The closest thing that we've got here on earth right now is the Great Wall of China. And at its highest point, it's 26 feet tall, and it could fit against their enemies. When they would go and they would uh, sack a city, they would kill and dismember their enemies. They were known for being incredibly gruesome. Uh, Archaeologists have found remnants uh, of writings and um, drawings that actually are from Assyrian kings just boasting in their actions. And so God comes to Jonah... And tells him to go to Nineveh, to that massive city, and call out for them to repent. I mean, God's command seems pretty simple, right? Go to Nineveh and do what you did to Israel. Just preach the word that I give you. But God's word isn't just information. It calls us to respond. And so we see Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down to it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Now, on the surface, it's pretty understandable why Jonah doesn't want to go. I mean, I gave you like three sentences on how bad Assyria was and why he wouldn't want to go. 
I mean, he's scared. And to Jonah, the Ninevites hate him, right? Why on earth would God send him to these people that are probably going to kill and dismember him? But based on Jonah's previous actions as a prophet, he's already seen what God is capable of doing. This should just be simple obedience. He just has to show up, say the word that God has given him. You see, Jonah was capable of going to Nineveh because he knew what God could do. He knew what God could do. Here's the deal. Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh because going to Nineveh means going to those people. Those people, right? Jonah hates the Ninevites. They are the enemy of Israel. The way that they treat people, it's horrific. Jonah doesn't think they deserve to be saved. To him, they are so evil and horrible and vile that they should just be destroyed. And Jonah knows that if he goes, God is going to work and they are going to be spared. So Jonah flees. Nineveh, it's in modern-day Iraq, Mosul to be specific. So uh, from where Jonah is at to Nineveh, it's about 550 miles, right? This isn't a short journey. But instead of going northeast to Iraq, where you know all of the countries of the world, we have globes, we can look at it. But at this point in history, the known world ran to Spain. Jonah was literally running to the ends of the earth to get away, not just from his call, but from the presence of God. You see, Jonah isn't just mad at what he's been called to. He's mad that God has a heart for Nineveh. And with Jonah writing this book, he's telling us, like, I wasn't even just fleeing from my, my call. I was fleeing from God himself. And it's so crazy to hear that, right? I mean, God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. Like, there's no way you're going to get away from him. And Jonah knows this. Jonah knows who God is. He knows what God is capable of, and he wants nothing to do with it. And so as readers today, it's easy for us to kind of look at Jonah with judgment, isn't it? I mean, what a coward and a jerk. God's trying to save people, and this dude cares more about himself, and so he runs in the opposite direction. But this begs the question, like Jonah, are you allowing your sociology to influence your theology? Do you allow your heart towards people different from you affect your obedience to the call that he's given you? You see, Jonah viewed the Ninevites as people that were beyond God's grace, that they were undeserving, that they were wrong, and that they were gross. Jonah refers to them as those people. Who do you view as those people? It's a question nobody wants to wrestle with. But who are those people to you, right? Everybody's got them. Because we're sinful. Maybe they got a different skin color. Maybe they're from a different country. Maybe they practice a different religion. Maybe they're in a different economic class. Or they live a very different life with a different standard of living. Maybe they live in a different neighborhood. Maybe they live uh, or they're from a different culture and they speak a different language. Maybe they support a different political party than you do. Maybe they have a different worldview than you. Maybe they struggle with something that you don't. 
Who in your life do you believe is beyond God's grace? Who in your life do you see as undeserving? Jonah saw Nineveh and the people of Nineveh in this way. But I think a lot of us do too. We just aren't willing to say it. Church, hear me on this. It does not matter what pronouns somebody identifies as. It does not matter who they voted for. It does not matter what gender they're attracted to. It does not matter the color of their skin. It does not matter what social justice initiative they support. It does not matter how much money they make. It does not matter who they worship. It does not matter what they've done. God's heart is for them. God's heart is for them. Our mission is to be a disciple-making church that brings hope and healing to those people. If they are a human being, he created them in his image. If they're a human being, he is for them. If they are a human being, he died for them. And if they're a human being, he's calling us to go to them. What blows me away is how quick we are to judge Jonah when in reality, we're all Jonah. How often do you look at the actions of unbelievers or people that do not call themselves Christians, Christ, even Christians, man? You look at the behavior of people, how often do you find yourself filled with disgust and then that disgust becomes bitterness and that bitterness grows into unforgiveness? And as soon as that unforgiveness grows, you've vilified somebody to the point that they're no longer deserving of God's grace. And over and over again during Jesus' ministry, religious people, religious folks, pointed out the fact that Jesus spent time with sinners, that he ate with sinners, that he ate with tax collectors, that he hung out with the dirty and the broken and the poor. And while eating a meal with a man named Levi, who was a tax collector, these religious folks started grumbling. And when Jesus heard their complaints, he responded by saying, healthy people don't need a doctor. Only the sick do. And that man, Levi, who most of us know as Matthew, went on to believe in Jesus as his Lord and Savior, and he became the author of the Gospel of Matthew. If it were up to religious folks, there would be no hope for him. But because it was up to Jesus, there is hope for Levi. Church, our theology is always supposed to influence our sociology, not the other way around. The way that God sees people is how we should see people, not how we see people is the way that God should see them. Amen? Amen? Verse 4. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break. Here's the deal. In the face of Jonah's disobedience, God sends a storm. Jonah is running from God. He's not just running from his call. He's running from God. God said, no, I love you too much to let you do that. And so God sends a storm. This is a a divine interruption put into place to get Jonah's attention. 
And this storm is an act of grace upon Jonah to draw him back in. How often do we look at our circumstances and call them evil when in reality it's God hauling us back in? You see, Jonah put his confidence in a ship that was sailing away from God. I think like Jonah, most of us tend to put our confidence in things that are sailing us away from God. What have you put your confidence in that God has to break up? Is it wealth or a relationship or a political figure or a belief or a substance? Maybe it's something that you enjoy that has now become an idol. Anytime we look at anything to be a functional savior, God interrupts our self-centeredness. And he breaks it up for our own good to draw us back to him. Man, we don't deserve that. Praise God. Verse 5, then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was on the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. So here's the deal. Because of Jonah's disobedience, these mariners, these sailors, they were affected. Because of Jonah's disobedience, these sailors were affected It says that this storm was so great that these big burly mariners that are used to storms at sea, that they were actually afraid. I've seen a lot of episodes of Deadliest Catch, and there's not a lot of times those dudes are scared. Which means this had to have been a heck of a storm. And in their fear, they start crying out, and they start hurling cargo off the ship in an attempt to save themselves. Here's the deal. These men are literally throwing their income away in an attempt to save themselves from this storm. Hear me on this. There is nothing that you can do in the natural to outdo what God is doing in the spiritual. Let's keep going in verse 5. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. Now, what's interesting to me, uh, how often the word down has been used so far in this story. It's almost as though Jonah is describing his flight or his, his uh, movement away from God's presence and that in every action that takes him further away from God, it's almost like he's getting closer to his grave. Jonah went down to Joppa, and he went down to the boat, and he went down into the innermost part of the boat, and he went down to a deep sleep. When you walk in disobedience, it is living below your identity and who God has called you to be. This is Jonah experiencing it. He's going down and down and down and down, living below the identity that he has and who God's called him to be. Jonah's asleep. He is checked out, right? He is physically sleeping and he's spiritually sleeping. Jonah ran away from the word of the Lord and he went to Joppa and then he found a ship where he paid to get on that ship. And then he went deep down into the ship and now he is asleep. Every single one of the mechanisms that Jonah has used to run from God could not outdo God's commitment to him. I want to tell you this, every time you run from him, he's going to pursue you. I love this. His commitment to Jonah was so strong. 
Here's the deal. This is not God hating Jonah. The storm is not evil. The storm is not God hating Jonah. It is God, his mercy on Jonah. It's God's mercy. Here's the deal. If you ever find yourself in a situation where God is no longer after you, you should be afraid. You should be very afraid. If God leaves you in your own devices, in your own mess, in your own sin, if he leaves you there, man, you're in trouble. But if you're in your mess and you see evidence of God's grace coming after you, that is the greatness of a merciful God. That God comes after us even when we don't want him to pursue us. I don't know about you, but if I was asleep on a boat that was in a storm that had seasoned sailors scared, I don't think I'd be sleeping. I mean, between the sounds of heavy rain and wind and the rocking of this boat, it would be so hard to fall asleep. But Jonah's actions continue to prove where his heart is. Jonah's sleep proves that he's more concerned with himself than with the good of other people. Verse 6. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give you a uh, thought to us that we may not perish. All right, here's the deal. This captain is not a believer in Yahweh. This captain is literally trying anything he can to save himself. Call out to whatever gods you have in hopes that one of them will spare us. beginning of the book of Jonah, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, calling Jonah to go to Nineveh to call out against the people, telling them to wake up and call out to God. And six verses later, a pagan captain is going to Jonah, calling him to wake up and call out to God. How far has Jonah fallen in six verses? something backwards here. God is using someone that doesn't even believe in him to call Jonah back to him. Man, how beautiful is God's grace towards Jonah. Again, I'm, I'm aware that this morning has been a little bit heavy, and it's heavy because people matter. People matter. And here's the good news, though, right? That Jesus came, that Jesus died, and that Jesus rose, and because of that, we have life. It's good news. And like Levi, we have been welcomed to the table. That Jesus wasn't a religious person that viewed us as unsavable, as individuals beyond the grace of God, but he said, no, I want you. He's invited you to his table, just like Levi. Church, the word of the Lord has come to us and he's calling us to make disciples and to go into our community offering hope and healing. I'm going to ask it, man. When you look at Shelbyville, do you think it's undeserving of God's grace? When you look at our county, when you look at the communities that call Shelby County home, do you look at the people that make this place up and you say, yeah, you just don't deserve it. It's just a bunch of those people.
as God has called us to step into our community with the good news of Jesus Christ. As a staff, we've been going through this book called Core 52, uh, and the author of this book, his name is Mark Moore, uh, he wrote in one of these chapters uh, that task. Either his way or yours, nonetheless, you will do what God calls you. And a little foreshadowing as we continue to look at the story of Jonah, uh, that story is going to prove this statement true. And I think when we read a statement like this, right, if God calls you to a task, you're going to perform it. Like, that just butts up against all of our, like, who are you to tell me what's up? God is here to tell you what's up. Because too many of us look at our story and we think that we're the main character. But the reality is that we're a supporting character in God's story. He gets to tell us what's up. He gets to tell us what to do. He gets to tell us where to go. Our job is to be obedient in that. Like I said before, the word of the Lord is more than just information. It demands a response. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah and called him to go. Here's the deal, church. We've been called to go. We've been called to step out into our community. And our all-in discipleship journey, it's way bigger than just the staff at this church. There's like 12 of us. There's no way we're going to be able to do all this with just the staff. We need you. We need the church to be all-in for the good of our community. And we understand and we believe that generosity is something that Christians should do better than literally any other people group. Because when you understand the gospel, when you understand the fact that Jesus literally laid down everything for us, and that as followers of him, we've been called to lay everything down for him. And so when we look at all in and we look at what we've been called to, we've been called to respond in three ways, with our time, with our talents, and with our treasure. Three words. I mean, we use this all the time. We've been using these words for years here at this church, and these are The three ways that we're being asked to respond when it comes to all in. And for most of us, uh, financially, we made a commitment this last fall in October. We wrote out and we said, here's how much I'm committing to give over the next two years to see this thing happen. But I know that there's folks in here that weren't a part of our church at that point. Maybe you've kind of reconnected in after the pandemic. Maybe you've just started joining us. Man, I want to invite you. Financially, we need your assistance to see these things through. Maybe you were with us in October and you were sitting out there and you're like, yeah, I'm just going to kind of see what happens before I choose to put some money into the pot. Here's the deal, man, we're rolling. We're nine months into this thing. We got a women's house. We got five ladies in it. We just purchased a care center. We'll be moving into that this fall. We got stuff going and we need your help. Are you willing to sacrifice Are you willing to be generous with your treasures, with your monetary resources? For everyone else, and you included, right? We've been called to give with our time and with our talents. And I don't know about you guys, but to me, time is the most valuable thing I got. Right? If you waste my time, I get angry. That's where my heart's at, right? Here's my money. My time is so much more important to me. What about you? When it comes to being generous with your time, talents, and treasures, are you willing to take the gifts and the skill set that God has given you and say, you know what, I'm going to use this for the good of other people. 
I'm going to invest my time for the good of other people. I'm going to offer up maybe the three hours that I have every week that normally is when I sit on the couch and watch This Is Us, and I'm actually going to choose to invest in the lives of other people. Guys, we're rolling, and we need your help. That's the whole point of this summer is to get you connected in so you can see what is taking place. I don't know how many of you realize this, but Pastor Lee, who was up here, uh, that was one of the first parts of All In was that we would hire a new student ministry pastor. He's been here for a while, just went to camp. We just got to celebrate what God did at camp. Family ministry. Are we going to be all in on family ministry? We're going to be all in in our community, right? We're trying to help folks find long-term employment and teaching them trades and, and job skills. We're uh, working with uh, ladies that are coming out of difficult past life experiences. I don't even know all of their stories, right? But there's folks coming out of addiction. They're coming out of incarceration. They're coming out of abuse. Are we willing to step into their lives, into their story? Why? Hard life has been. You willing to hand out food to folks that are hungry? You willing to love our community with your time, with your talents, and your treasures? Here's the deal: we're going to be making asks throughout the summer. We're giving you updates on where we're at with things. But what we want from you is some type of commitment. We want you to say, you know what, I'm interested in helping with family ministry. I'm interested in helping with the shop. I'm interested in helping with the preschool. And so what we've done on the uh, all-in website is we've created an area that says get involved. You go to secallin.org, click on get involved. You can literally give us your name, your email, your phone number, and which one of these community efforts you're interested in helping with. Fill that out. That way we know, hey, we've got a group of people that we can start rolling with. The leaders for those ministries will contact you at some point. They'll get you filled in. Here's where we're at. Here's what we need help with. But we need your help to do these things. Guys, the word of the Lord came to us and said, I want you to be a disciple-making church that goes into your community and brings hope and healing, and that's through Jesus Christ, and we need you to be on board with us. And it's time that we move past this idea of those people because God created them, and he loves them, and he wants them. And it's our job to go get them. Amen? All right. I'm going to pray before I completely lose my voice. And then we're going to take communion together, right? It's a privilege. Don't take that. Uh, in vain, man. It's a privilege that we get to take communion. So let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the book of Jonah. Thank you for his life and his story and the way that you pursued him. Father, I pray that you would pursue every single one of us in the way that you pursued Jonah. I pray that you would convict us when we ourselves are just lacking in compassion for people. I pray that you would convict us when we have zero desire to talk to people different than us. And I pray that you would soften our hearts as we move out into the community, as we uh, head towards people who are far from you. Maybe there's people that are right on the edge for you. God, I I pray that we would all go with compassion, that we would be a people of love, that you would put in front of us every day people that we can love and that we can point to you. And I I pray that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. So here's the deal. Like Levi, you've been welcomed to the table.
this man that was viewed as an outcast, as a sinner, as a dirty tax collector, was invited to the table of Jesus, and you've been invited to the table of Jesus. If you've made a decision to follow him, if you said, you know what, you are my savior, this meal is for you. We do this every month where we come and we grab a piece of bread and we grab a cup and we take and we eat and we drink in remembrance of his body broken for us and his blood poured out for us. This isn't just a hollow action. This is us remembering what he did for us. So as you come, come up these aisles, grab your elements. You can go back to your seat. You can come up here. You can nail on the, kneel on the stage. Whatever you need to do, man. Take some time and respond. Think through the people in your life that you've put into that category of those people. Let's start moving towards the calling that God's given us instead of where we naturally want to flee to. Amen? Let's respond.